when the COVID outbreak started and we were just learning about this thing called COVID and, and all this information was coming out, um, uh, we had to go online uh, because public meeting was shut down, right? You guys remember that, those first heady weeks of the quarantine, the shutdown and stuff? And uh, for a while, it was my custom to do a little uh, COVID update and to sort of talk about what we were learning as a society about the disease. I just thought that was a nice pastoral thing to do. And so I would take a few minutes at the beginning of every sermon and share. Uh, and then I started doing it with a vengeance because um, it seemed to me, I don't know about you, but it seemed to me as if the disease got really politicized right off the top and that that you were hearing radically different things from different sides according to the political advantages that it gave the various sides. And, and I really resented that. I think, well, if anything should be apolitical and just, you know, factual and even it should be, you know, information about the disease. And I don't know, eventually maybe I just kind of gave up on that. Sorry. Because uh, uh, I didn't see anything improving society and we all kind of figured out how we were going to deal with it uh, anyway. Uh, we have a new variant coming out, this Delta variant. Uh, I assume that it's really affected our community because we're about half strength today. Um, not too many, <clears throat> not as many people as normal. And you know, you want to respect new things and I understand that. But I haven't noticed any accurate information about the Delta variant coming out so much. So I just, for whatever it's worth, just for the sake of shepherding, okay, uh, a little less gain, a little more volume back there, guys. Yeah. Um, but, so, bad news is that there's this Delta variant that is more transmissible. It's slightly more contagious than the old COVID. All right? We understand that? And that's not a very controversial thing to say. Uh, the largest study done on it so far was just released in the UK, in Britain. It involved over 92,000 people who were infected by the new variant. And what it showed was of those 92,000 people, zero vaccinated people who were not elderly died. Zero fatalities, uh, provided you were vaccinated. And something like six non-elderly people uh, who were not vaccinated, died from the disease. Presumably, they all had risk factors like heart disease or lung disease. Uh, of the elderly people, um, the mortality rate for the new variant is half that of the old variant. Uh, and um, what's happening is that the headlines are telling you exactly the opposite. The headlines are telling you that it's more deadly and stuff like that. Um, but just, it's kind of like for what it's worth. You know, not because I... I think we should not be wearing masks, we should not be washing our hands, we should not be social distancing. All of that stuff is just kind of prudent. You know, personally, I feel like, we'll get the vaccine. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine is, according to that study, almost 90% effective in preventing you from getting the new variant. 90% effective. And plus, if you get it, then it reduces the chance of, of your mortality. But the Delta variant, uh, According to the stats, half as lethal as the old variant, uh, very, very non-threatening to people who are not elderly or weakened by some serious chronic disease already. <clears throat> and uh, 
Um, a tiny, well, not a tiny fraction, but a, a small fraction as deadly as the normal flu. But really contagious, right? That's what makes it remarkable. It's really contagious. Um, so just FYI, for what it's worth, I just felt like maybe some shepherding. I don't know, was that worthwhile? I don't know, is that good information to know? Sometimes I don't know how to shepherd during this season, but I just don't like fear very much. I prefer encountering things, even threatening things, with faith. You know, and, and faith and truth go together, and faith, truth, and love go together. We can support each other appropriately and, and stuff like that. So I don't know. That's just kind of a for what it's worth uh, sort of moment. Brought to you by Blue Water Mission, your friendly neighborhood gymnasium church. There you go. <clears throat> I want to finish our sermon series on how Jesus did it um, with the idea that we want to be world changers. We want to change the world. I feel like the world could use some change. Yes? All right, I got a few shaka. Um, and Jesus wasn't just, you know, a sacrifice and a savior. He was a model for how we should live. And uh, today I want to be wrapping up that sermon series. Uh, I was speaking on faith, faith versus fear, and faith has figured very prominently in our discussions of how Jesus changed the world. So here's how I want to start today. I want to pray that the spirit of faith, the gift of faith, the supernatural heavenly impartation of faith would fall. Can we have a little less gain and a little more volume instead, guys? It's really boomy. <clears throat> that the that the gift of faith, <laughs> the gift of faith would fall uh, even as I preach. As I say something that kind of sparks something in your heart and you would feel uh, built up in faith. So I'm just going to pray for that, that the Holy Spirit would be ministering while we go, okay? While we go. Oh, Holy Spirit, uh, that is our request this morning, that you would take the occasion of preaching your word and uh, impart your faith to all the brothers and sisters who are assembled today. Sorry, guys. I pray, Lord, that you would feed these hearts exactly what they need and that we would uh, exit from uh, church this morning moving in faith against fear and against threatening things, uh, that we would shape the world around us according to faith and not shape the world around us according to fear, that we would be the solution and not the problem, that we would be light and not darkness that we would be influencers and not merely responders. I pray that we would be agents of healing, that we would be agents of power, that we would be agents of abnormal living. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us out. Help us out because we're asking, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us faith in Jesus' name as we go. Amen. Here's a warm-up question for you today after all that really long prelude. The question, a classic Christian question, what must I do to be saved? Uh, occasionally people ask Jesus this question. Uh, in, 
in his ministry uh, during his days. So let me ask you, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Call on Jesus. Good answer. That can't possibly be wrong. Call on Jesus. A. What else? Trust in Jesus. I love that word. I love that word trust as opposed to the word belief because belief sounds like something you have, but trust is always something that you do, right? And uh, I love that. Trust in Jesus. Call on Jesus. I'll take one more. This is your chance to get huge brownie points in heaven. Shout out the right answer in front of God and all, the, all his people. I mean, like huge heavenly rewards. Follow Jesus. Show God's love. Accept God's love. A great prelude to showing God's love. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta accept what he offers. You gotta follow him. I love it. All right, uh, give yourself pats on the back. Um, Jesus loves you. Uh, uh, praying uh, for salvation uh, sure ain't gonna hurt. Uh, when people ask Jesus that, don't, don't fear the moth. The moth is harmless. We respond to the moth in a spirit of faith. The moth shall be blessed. He knows where the Holy Spirit is. He came. We love the moth. Even the moth has found a home near your altar, O Lord. Good moth. Um, whenever someone asked Jesus that sort of question, he tended to respond in different ways. You know, sometimes it was like, you know, believe or believe in, uh, which is... Uh, could be translated trust, you know, trust in me, trust in what I say, trust in what I do. Uh, to the rich young ruler, he said, well, you got to sell everything you have and then come follow me. Your problem is that a lot of stuff is getting in the way and matters more to you than, a, than the kingdom of God does. Um, to his disciples, he simply said, follow me, you're going you're gonna to get on board. Um, uh, to uh, a particularly contentious Pharisee, religious ruler that he was arguing with, when the Pharisee began conversing with him honestly, asking honest questions instead of political questions, Jesus said to him, ah, you're not far from the kingdom of God. It's like, you know, honesty and transparency and truth uh, can be a way. I think there's one pat answer, but it does have to do with trusting him and following him and, and doing what he, what he did. And um, we're going to touch on that theme this morning. First, I wanted to review the sermon series that we've been on. It's been about 10 weeks. Uh, so just to keep it fresh in your head, you guys should know all of these things. We talked about the stuff that Jesus did, the way that he changed the world. And then, you know, there's no way to go through everything that Jesus did, but we gave 10 sermons on various little things. The first thing we talked about is if you want to change the world as Jesus changed the world, do the little things. You got to do the little things. You got to follow godly protocol you know, you can't just shoot for the, the big things. You have to be willing to do the little things too. Number two was don't make alliances with the world. Um, you know, do it God's way, the kingdom way. Seek guidance from God as you go. Be super accessible to those who need to find God because if you are the light of the world, you need to give people access to your life. Ask questions like a pro. Uh, Jesus asked questions way more than he gave uh, straight answers. There's a reason for that. 
Uh, be extreme. Jesus was always saying this in way, one way, shape, or form. Be extreme. You know, pick up your cross daily. You know, sacrifice everything. Sell everything that you have. He was a preacher of extremity. Uh, put up with bad things in order to empower good things. Uh, we call that grace. Uh, use faith. Don't just have faith, but use faith. Use miracles, uh, Sonia talked about last week. Don't just believe in them, use them. And make decisions and encourage decisions uh, because, you know, you're going to have to commit at one point or another. Unpack those just a tiny, tiny bit. When I say do the little things of God, you remember that sermon? We talked about how Jesus got baptized. And when Jesus got baptized, John the Baptist said, what are you doing, man? You don't need to do this. You have no reason to go through a ritual of repentance. You know, dude, you're good. You're good. You're, you're the one. But Jesus did it anyway. And then there was a voice from heaven. God the Father said, ah, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. When you do the little thing, you practice putting God in charge, which is something that you want to practice a lot. Because if you don't practice it in little ways, then when the big threats come, you will crumble like a pillar of salt. Uh, so that's what that story was about. Don't make alliances with the world. We talked about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. So this was a testing ground of God for him. And Satan came to him. And here's what Satan did. And this is always Satan's trade. Do you remember this? Satan identifies the correct problem for you. The correct problem in your life. The correct problem in the people around you. The correct problems in society. Satan identifies those correctly and then offers you a twisted solution for them. That's Satan's game. And that's what Satan did uh, to Jesus uh, in the wilderness. Hey, Jesus, the world is hurting. You came to save the world. Worship me, and I will give you power over the entire earth. You get to be a benevolent dictator. And Jesus, of course, was too smart. Said, well, that's not God's way of doing things, so no thank you. You've identified the correct problem. The world is hurting and needs leadership, but you have offered me a twisted solution. That's a useful life skill. Uh, seek guidance from God as you go. Ben Fowler gave this sermon before Jesus chose his disciples, people that he knew fairly well. He went away for a whole night, stayed up all night, and prayed. Ben said, you need a mountain to go to. In your life, you need a way of letting God into all of your decision-making. Now, whatever, what the way you choose is up to you, but that's something that you need if you're going to change the world as Jesus did because, newsflash, you need the leadership of God to do it well. Uh, be super accessible to those who need to find God. We talked about Jesus uh, calling Matthew away from his work desk and then going to party at Matthew's house with all of these sinners and, and prostitutes and people of ill repute. Jesus was always making himself accessible to people who needed a change in life. And the question for us is, are we accessible to people? Are you accessible in your life or are you too busy? Are you too isolated? Are you too well balanced to, to be accessible? You have to be savagely accessible to people around you. You have to be able to make friends and make acquaintances and have conversations and things like that. And there's not much in our current society that encourages us to be accessible. Is there? Oh no. Oh no, there's not, you mask-wearing believers. You, we are fairly shut down. We need to be extra creative right now. 
when it comes to being accessible. Uh, but maybe that's not so different than uh, has been the case for Christians low these many centuries. Ask questions like a pro. Jesus asked something like 328 questions in the course of the Gospels. By my count, he directly answered two. Jesus was an almost, you know, obsessed question asker. Why? Well, we learned something about this in the parable of the sowers, if you remember that sermon. Jesus says that the secret to the kingdom of God is... Seeking. One person remembered the sermon. And it's a sermon I've given several times in the history of Blue Water. Yes, seeking is the kingdom of God. If you want to draw people to Jesus, you want to create seekers. Right? You want to give them a spirit of seeking. Because anybody who seeks the truth will find the truth, Jesus says. You know, if you knock on the door, I'm going to answer. That's how Jesus puts it. But people don't seek. Right? Don't seek. So you have to make seekers. And to ask seekers, you have to make thinkers. And to ask thinkers, the best thing you can do is to ask a really good question. Good questions are way better than pat answers in the kingdom of God. Way better. So have great questions at your disposal as opposed to pat answers to preach. And I think that will make a great difference in the way that you influence the world uh, around you. We have these things called discipleship questions. Uh, every Blue Water regular should know the five discipleship questions. I could do another quiz right now, but I won't. Uh, and, but if you, if you don't get five out of five, your salvation is in question. I'm just saying that right now. Uh, we should know these by now. And, you know, there's nothing magic about those five questions. They're just good questions good conversation starters. I used them yesterday with a stranger. I got into an hour-long conversation about faith. It's just a good question, guys. A good question. Questions were the preaching ministry of Christ uh, and just a super great tool to make seekers and then to honor seeking. Don't just honor knowledge, honor seeking in people. And I just think that works out beautifully well. Be extreme, pick up your cross daily. Uh, be willing to die for Christ. Um, give away everything you have on occasion. Uh, you are not called to live a normal, well-balanced life. And to the degree that you think you are, you cannot change the world as Jesus did. Straight out of the Gospels, Jesus preaches extremity, you know, six or eight different times in the course of the Gospels. Put up with the bad to power the good. Eunice preached this sermon, do you remember? Uh, she preached on the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Wheat and weeds grow up together in a field. And if you start pulling up the weeds too, too quickly, it will damage the roots of the wheat. You'll damage the good crop by being fussy about removing the bad crop. And this is an illustration that Jesus gives us about grace. Like, our job is not to run around pointing out errors, pointing out the weeds in people or the weeds in society. Our job is to do whatever we can to make the good grow in people and to make the good grow in society. That's our job. My favorite line from Eunice's sermon was, what makes you think that grace won't work? What makes you think that you need to be critical and judgmental in order to make righteousness thrive? That's not the Jesus teaching. 
uh, grace, the most alien concept of all in the kingdom of God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about using faith. Faith isn't just something you have. It's something that you use. You could think of it as a methodology. Jesus said to the disciples who had just failed to heal a little boy, uh, he said to them, well, you had too little faith. If you have just a little faith, just a little mustard seed sized faith, you can command mountains to move. You can literally change the topography of the physical earth. And then he proved that on occasion, like, I don't know, walking on water and stuff like that. Um, the good news, according to Jesus, as he teaches his disciples, is that you can do things to grow in that kind of faith. And the best way to grow in that kind of faith is to practice it over and over again. Practice saying things in faith. Practice doing things in faith. You know, you want to have faith to heal people? Try healing people. You want to have faith to evangelize? Try evangelizing. You want to have faith uh, to, to multiply loaves and fishes, to multiply the resources that you have in your life or in your family's life or in somebody else's life? Well, practice miracles of generosity and sharing, you know? It's like a muscle. If you work it, it gets bigger. It gets more and more powerful. So think of faith as a tool you use. You could think of it as a weapon you use, if that's your mentality. But it is a powerful thing that you wield, and it grows, and your call is not to see how much faith you have and live accordingly. Your call is to live in faith so that it grows. Right? So say things in faith as a matter of discipline, as a matter of practice, and the rewards uh, will be awesome. And then last week, Sonia talked about using miracles, doing supernatural things, which is something that Jesus did not make optional for his disciples. He didn't make it optional. He commanded them to do it. Could you imagine how rude uh, a spiritual leader grabbing somebody and throwing them in the middle of a bunch of sick people and saying, heal them, I'll see you later. Could you imagine anyone doing anything like that? I'm just waiting for the insult. Yeah, I see some pointing figures, because I do that a lot. I do that a lot, and we get great stories as a result. You know, you ever travel with me internationally? Good luck to you. Uh, I will make you do supernatural things in front of crowds. I learned that from Jesus. He didn't make it optional. He didn't make it optional. Maybe so that we could be assured of showing the power, the ridiculous power of faith and trust in Jesus to the world. When we do something that's technically impossible as a matter of committed practice, then we can't help but display faith, right? And maybe that's why miracle ministry was such a big part of what Jesus did. And then last week we talked about uh, the life skill of being 50% confident but 100% committed. That is the key uh, to living life. That's why you call it faith instead of calling it certainty. You know, there has to be an element of trust. There has to be a leap of faith. My wife pointed out last week uh, that 50% confident and 100% committed is also the recipe to a successful marriage. Yes? All right. Is your confidence level growing as we get older? Or? All right, never mind. Never, just, no, just never mind. Never mind. Faith is awesome is what I'm saying. Faith is awesome. It's what makes miracles happen, dear. 
Um, <clears throat> all right. Today I want to read uh, just briefly uh, to close John 14, uh, which I bet has some verses that are really familiar to everyone. I'm going to put it up on the big screen. And here's Jesus wrapping together a lot of the questions that we've been talking about this morning. You know, what must I do to be saved? And, and what does it mean to follow him and stuff like that? Here we go. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't fear. Don't fear, right? Faith, not fear. I don't care what the problem is. Don't be craven. Uh, you believe in God. You trust in God. Believe also in me. Trust in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? That's the many rooms teachings, lovely. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, I like Thomas, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Uh, Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How many people have that verse memorized? That's a big Sunday school verse, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm the way. My question is, what does that mean? I mean, it sounds like a tremendously metaphorical statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's something that needs to be uh, unpacked, I think. But Jesus goes on. If you really know me, you'll know my Father well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, uh, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. He didn't get it. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Were you paying attention? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, that's also an interesting statement. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing the work. So believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I think that's a great phrase. It's like, even if you don't really see the Father when you look at me, look at the creative, miraculous stuff that I do. That should be an indication that what you are seeing here is the very nature and heart of God. <clears throat> very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me or trusts in me, some translations will say, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Well, do what I have been doing. Hmm. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Wow. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you know, so that... Um, my mission will be complete. In other words, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. There's so many extreme statements in that teaching. You know, I like the last one. Ask me anything in my name. Ask me anything according to my will, according to the mission that I've given you. And, and I'm going to see that it gets done, you know, because I've got the Father's ear and we're all working together here. And so that's going to go really, really well. Um, 
Let's get back up and do that. I am the way, the truth, and the life, which strikes me initially as a very complex statement, something that needs to be unpacked. What does it mean for you to be the way, Jesus? Well, fortunately, Jesus immediately unpacks it in the passage, and he goes on to say, if you believe in me, you will do what I have been doing. So Jesus, in his person, is the way in some sense, but Jesus in his life, showed the way in another sense. He's calling us just to mimic him. And Jesus is saying, that's the way to do it. You know, if you believe me, you'll do what I do. Right? That's, that's the way. That's the truth. That's where life is. That's what Jesus is saying in this teaching. Do what Jesus did. Change the world as Jesus did it. And you will experience the Father himself. You will get a revelation of God because you have mimicked Jesus. That's what he's saying in the story. Not only that, you'll change the world, uh, which seems like a pretty big bonus. It's just a remarkable thing. We always ask, what bugs me about this passage? Real quickly, what bugs you about this passage? Anyone? Oh, it bugs me that Jesus says, you'll do even greater things than I did if you mimic me. Really? How does that make you feel? Excited? Intimidated? You know, I'm still trying to metabolize that phrase, and I've known it for most of my life. I I think, if nothing else, it prevents me from being shy about trying the things that Jesus tried. I should not be shy. I should not be shy to try. Um... Okay, so to review, what is the stuff that Jesus did? What is it that is the way of Christ that he wants us to follow? Well, we just spent a whole sermon series investigating some of the stuff, didn't we? We want to do the little things, and we want to do the miraculous things. We want to be obedient to God in the little ways, and we want to be obedient to God in the supernatural ways that he does not make optional for us. That's the way. That's the way of Christ. Uh, We want to do a lot of question asking. We want to foment seeking and thinking in the world around us. And we also want to be accessible so that people can always enter into our lives and get the rest of the story. And we can enter their lives and be healthy provocateurs and solution givers and healers and deliverers and stuff like that. We have to be very open. Even now, we want to be extreme And probably more than anything, we just want to be filled with faith, by which I mean we want to use faith, not just have it, but to use it, and then remarkable things will happen. Have you ever seen faith come into somebody's eyes before? Have you ever seen that? It's just such a cool thing. I, I can see it sometimes. I'm talking to someone, I'm ministering to someone, and it's just, it's like, there's almost like a physical brilliance that will pop into somebody's eyes. I saw it a little bit in the eyes of, of my son when he came home from the youth camp. Like he just started telling us stories. You know, and Jeremiah's always been a remarkable young man of faith. But, but he just came back with a new light, I think, because he, he, he had faith on his feet now. You know, it was like this quantum leap up. I think it probably happened for a lot of kids at this camp. Why? Because they did what Jesus did. 
right? Because they ministered and they healed one another and they received words for one another and they, they preached and questioned and loved one another and all of that stuff, you know? And that's the way. They did what Jesus did in a concentrated fashion and it could not help but change them all and turn them on even more with the light of faith. That's how it works. I'm looking around right now, my, my eyes are really bad, and you are all masked, but I'm wondering if like, you know, there's just light coming into people. Even now, we prayed for the Holy Spirit to do it. I wonder if you trusted him to do it, just to give you an extra measure of faith so that you could do greater things than Jesus has done when he walked the earth. Just an extraordinary call. Just an extraordinary call. And I tell you, man, the world needs that from you now more than it has ever needed it from you in your lifetime. Because right? faith is not the spirit the world is moving in. Some, some, some of us, but there's a lot of fear out there. So would you like to be the antidote? And uh, if you would, why don't you just uh, stand and I will pray for you. Next week, the kids are going to come and, and minister uh, to us. I hope that you don't think that that's a bad idea. Uh, I have a hunch it's going to be a little bit messy and a lot bit glorious, as per the blue water fashion. You don't have to stand up if you don't want to. Maybe you just want to sit quietly with God. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to manipulate anyone. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us faith on our feet. I pray that you would make our fingers itch for miracles and our mouth uh, burn with questions to ask. I pray, Lord, that before the day is through, you would provide opportunity for changeful conversation multiple times. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, expect him to fall upon you and, and, and change you. Uh, that's the proper prelude. Reach out in faith. We have looked at Jesus. We have seen the Father. We have found the way. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. I feel like some of you are just kind of feel almost, yeah, you feel physically uh, the power of the Spirit in your throats right now uh, as I'm talking. And it's just the Lord, you know, putting, some, putting the Word in, 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 your, in your throat. By the Word, I don't mean like Scripture. I mean like, you know, the Word that brings Jesus to people. A question or a friendly hello, just but a powerful Word right there. Some of you are feeling that. I feel like some people are feeling... Uh, a little itchy power on the top of your hand. And if that's you, flip it over uh, so that you feel it in your palms and can carry it to others for healing because that's a healing power the Lord has given you. Uh, if that's you, wave your hand at me. Yeah. More, Lord. And I pray that this would be a prelude of faith for greater things to come and that we would rise up and fulfill our mission uh, before too much more life passes us by. In Jesus' name, amen.